This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome to Crineland. My name is Julie Jay, and this week I'm chatting to our old friend Sophie Shanley again <laughs> about the torso murder. This is a good one, Sophie. I think you're going to really like it. It's so good to chat to you again, Mrs. I've missed oh, you. Great to be back after the Christmas break. I've missed you too. Oh, I love our chat. This is now, okay, so th- this is a good one. It's a historical one. I just want to signpost that from the top because I tell you, when I listen to some true crime podcasts and I hear it's a historical one, I'm skipping on. I'm skipping on yeah, to the next episode. Yeah. Sometimes I do the same. I'm like, well... I've seen the Waltons and, you know, all that, you know, like I get the gist. They were at the fucking gold, well, I don't, I can't even think of the words. They were at the mine and all that crack. Well, th- th- this is it. I wouldn't usually be into the historical ones myself, but I thought this was a really interesting one. I was actually talking to um, a Canadian listener a couple of weeks ago, gone in touch, and she was like, you should check this one out. Now, uh, I actually, I'll find the name of that person. Hang on. So she was saying this is a really, really good case. I was a little bit, a little bit hesitant when I saw the dates because as I said, I'm more into the modern stuff. But then I looked it up and I was like, oh no. Oh. Kate, how did I forget that name? Kate in Vancouver got in touch to say that this thank was a good you, one. That we, mwah, thank you, Kate. And it is, it's a nice little, it's, it's an interesting one. So we'll definitely give it a whirl. And you know what? Sometimes those historical ones, they can, they still pack a mighty punch. Like yeah. When I, when I think about the Hellfire Club, I pretty much, you know, start shaking. It freaks me out so much. Oh, and that would be all. great. That would be a great one. 
the hellfire club. Now that's just like spooky folklore. It's not really like true crime. But but can we veer into hellfire club? Can we? I think we could. I mean, you know, we're playing loosey goosey with the true crime these days. To be fair. <laughs> Okay. Define a crime. It could be a moral crime. It could be a literary crime. It doesn't have to be a legal crime. We can we can veer into that territory yeah. for sure. So when I when I just dive right in, go go on. Please. Okay. Now, so this story takes place in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and it takes place in March 1946. So Hamilton, the really funny thing about this case is we actually talked about Hamilton. Now, it was another episode with a friend of the podcast, Simon O'Keefe. I was chatting about um, Cheryl Shepherd, her disappearance, and it also took place in Hamilton, admittedly, uh, much more recently, but Hamilton is kind of known for, I guess, being it's it's an industrial city in Canada. Um, it is, you know, kind of I suppose an industrial centre, but it's it's a tough enough spot. It it is a tough enough spot. So it would have been a relatively young city, of course, in 1946, and this is where this one takes place. But it we also reference this city in another episode. That's Sherry uh, Cheryl Shepherd, I should say, the disappearance of Cheryl Shepherd with Simon O'Keefe. So Evelyn okay. Dick. Now this was her name. Okay, so let's just get all the jokes out of the way from the off. <laughs> Evelyn Dick. <laughs> Okay. Was born to Donald and Alexandra McLean on the 13th of October, 1920. Now, my issue here is, so Evelyn was born and her name was Evelyn McLean. And she chose upon marriage to take her husband's name, which was Dick. I'm sure she legally had to at the time, but that is, I mean, that's a big undertaking. You'd really have to ask yourself, do, <laughs> but do I love a Marini? I'm calling myself Dick for the rest of my life. I mean, it's a lot. Maybe, maybe it wasn't a term back then. Maybe it was just Ooh. Johnson. And yeah. um, Oh, Johnson, sir, you actually do have a bit I, of a... I've been there. <laughs> and listen, let me tell you, because my initials are JJ. And like, it's gas because for a long time, a friend of mine used to call her Lady Parts. We still don't know why. She doesn't know why herself. But she, obviously, you know, a lot of people would be familiar with the term VJJ. And she took it yes. to the next level. And one night when we were all out in the pub, she referred to her VJJ as my Julie Johnson. And none of us really know. <laughs> none of us really know why. We don't know how. But look, it stuck. So Did it kind of like burst out of her? Like she'd been secretly calling it this for I quite think, some time. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. I think the veil dropped. And suddenly we were, yeah, we were alerted to the fact that this is what she refers to her lady parts as. <laughs> but no, you're right. Maybe it wasn't. Because as well, I suppose, is it a bit of a, is it a bit of a, maybe it's a bit of a British and Irish slang term dick your dick yeah it is a little bit I think I or like your dick I know I I think I think it's a recent thing what would you say some old-timey terms would be though like I've I've given you Johnson pecker pecker oh pecker that's a classic (laughs) isn't it I mean Willie I would say Willie probably has been around a bit longer than Dick not America (laughs) Julie you're Willie no what would you call yeah penis is too scientific penis Um, I always think penis is too doctor 
Yeah. It is, yeah. No, it's, I don't know. Like Johnson and Pecker, I think would be the top two there. Okay. Actually, and I did think earlier on when I was, um, I was just having one last look over this before uh, we started our chat. And I was like, I must say that to Sophie now this evening when, uh, when, we, when, we, when we do this episode. I worked for this guy. I worked in a Sydney Harbour uh, foreshore authority many moons ago in a former life. And my boss, I kept sending emails to other agencies on our behalf and everything kept okay. bouncing back. The whole time, everything kept bouncing back and I didn't understand. <laughs> but then I coughed because every time I sent an email, I would have to CC my boss and his name was Brian Cock. C-O-C-K. <laughs> this is a true story. You couldn't quite believe this, could you? You couldn't believe it was Cock. Well, he's... Well, I, you think it was Cocks? It, it wasn't Cox. It was C O C. I from the outset, I was aware that this was Cock because obviously I was like faced with his email address <laughs> every day. But he owned it. Like fair play to him. Like he would ring people and be like, "Hi, it's Brian Cock here." Like he really was like, you know, none of this. He liked it. I think he. I think he did a bit because I think it's the only thing you can do with a name like that. There's no point hiding behind it. There's no point doing the Brian and kind of a muffled cock. Like there's yeah. no point. You need to just say, "Hey, my name is Cock." I'd there. say this guy it's walked into a room, cock first, cock out. You know, <laughs> cock sure. Like he's he was, he was actually a lovely man, to be honest. So look, Dick Cock. I mean. It is what it is. And actually, you're right. I'd imagine at the time it probably didn't have the same connotations. So Evelyn was uh, born in 1920. And a year after she was born, she was born near Niagara Falls. The family moved to Hamilton. So the older McLean, so the dad, Donald, worked for the Hamilton Street Railway as a streetcar conductor. He later got the job, uh, got a higher position within the company that gave him access to the revenues and kind of the monies and all that kind of thing. Now, Evelyn's childhood was not particularly happy. So her dad was a drinker and her mother was known as having a really bad temper. So she's quite a cross lady. Mm. And the parents just didn't get along often. They often spent time apart. And Evelyn kind of, I suppose, isolated herself from the neighborhood kids. She didn't really socialize that much. And her parents had this thing where they considered her too fragile to be out playing in the street. So there was almost a bit of a bit of Munchausen's even by proxy going on that they they discouraged her from going outside and playing with other kids. So poor old Evelyn just got increasingly isolated. As well as that, rumors abounded that Donald, the dad, was stealing money from the railway corporation. As they lived really well, they always had big sums in the bank. And they would, now this did make me laugh, they would send Evelyn shopping (laughs) with handfuls of nickels, the fee collected for a fare in those days. So like, I mean, to be fair, talk about world's worst criminal. If you're going to steal nickels, at least change it into another form of currency, not not sending your daughter down the shop with the, like, sackfuls of nickels at the ready <laughs> do you know what though I'd say like she sounds like she was happy enough doing these shopping sprees even if mummy and daddy are having the odd fight you know well yeah of nickels Julie I, I would mean, mind some handfuls of nickels it'd be like that scene in the goonies you know where it's raining pennies we'd all like we'd all yeah. like some handfuls of nickels for sure well she did actually embrace the shopping because let me tell you she basically 
I suppose she has, her parents kind of encouraged her to be a bit of a social climber. So she right. would host these kind of almost like My Sweet 16. You remember that show on MTV? I used to love it. Oh, super, I super sweet 16. And they, yeah. were, they were never grateful. They were oh. never, ever appreciative. Never. Yeah, it was a shocking, it was a terrible premise and it was just, it just shows how Celtic tigery we all were. It's oh, and, and you know what? None of those kids were happy. That was the thing. Like they all struck me as so unhappy. The whole lot of you them. Remember, do you remember how afraid the parents were of them as well? They'd be like, hey, you know, um, come here. We, we got out, we got Snoop Dogg. Hey, what do you think about that? And they'd be like, uh, uh, you know, where's my uh, car? I want a Backstreet Boys. Yeah, it was all... That was dad. Like, they were awful people. Parents and kids. Really? Do you know, you wonder actually what became of them, those kids, because they just didn't seem... Yeah, they just... I suppose maybe that's what happens when you spoil your child to that extent. They just mm. always seemed really... Yeah, they were very just petulant kids, weren't they? Like nothing, nothing really, like, meant enough, you know? Like, there, there was no significance to any gift. It was just no. like, oh, another thing. Grand, put it yeah. Very true. Like they're so materialistic. It it was unreal. So Mm. like Evelyn now, she kind of got into this habit of hosting these huge parties at the Royal Connacht Hotel, which was Hamilton's. I know. I mean, look, we're everywhere. We are everywhere. That's for sure. Hamilton's. So this was like Hamilton's fanciest hotel. And then she also, this kind of broke my heart. She also used to spend a lot of money on acquaintances, obviously in a bid to make friends. So she was trying to buy friendships and all that. Always one of those. Yeah. So Evelyn then, she kind of became a focus of rumors when she was in her mid-teens. So she had expensive jewelry and furs and, you know, she dressed unbelievably for a girl of that age who was supposedly of limited means. And then she kind of started spending time in the company of much older men. And she was kind of seen at places far out of town. So, you know, she was kind of seen in other cities and at locations like racetracks and things like that. And a lot of people questioned what was going on in terms of like what was really financing this lifestyle for her. Bit of a bit of a prostitute. Well, they think. did. Yeah, they did think maybe she was engaged in some kind of escorting or sex work. And in 1942, Evelyn gave birth to a daughter. Now, she then said, she said, look, uh, this baby has actually been the product of my marriage. So most people were like, what? Since when did you get married? So she comes over, she's like, I'm marrying a guy called John. It's all going gravy. And then Alexander here is John Dick. That's his full name. She's like, okay, how do we stop this marriage from taking place? This wedding cannot go ahead. But she was headstrong and it did go ahead. So she did marry John Dick. And hence how... Such is the such is the story behind Evelyn McLean becoming Evelyn Dick. We're now. there now. We we have we're, up we're to there. Date. Okay. So Saturday, now she's now Evelyn Dick. So Saturday, the sixteenth of March, nineteen forty-six, a group of five children found what they thought looked like the body of a headless pig lying part way down of okay. the Hamilton's scar- Rude. I know. Very mean. <laughs> <laughs> I would much prefer. Um, uh, a shop mannequin. I um, know. Oh, imagine pig. if people thought you were a headless pig. 
Actually, I that's. Mean, I mean, look. I it, oh, yeah, it's crazy thing as it is. Your <laughs> naked torso. You you don't need that on top of. Oh, does anyone need it? Absolutely not. That's so funny. So their find basically proved not to be a headless pig, but it was in fact the torso of an adult male. The head, arms, and legs were missing, and they were nowhere to be found. A deep wound in the chest told investigators that whoever had done this had tried to cut the torso itself in two. So this is Hold why on. this was called the torso murder. I thought it was going to be Evelyn and not. So it was no. a guy. Yeah, it was a guy. It was a male, adult male. Okay. Well, now yeah. it's, yeah, okay, right. So I was just upset for Evelyn being, you know. Oh, I know. With, with, with a lot of chest hair and back hair, I can see more. <laughs> where they were coming from. <laughs> but I don't think anyone wants to be misconstrued no, 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 as this no, pig. not on. Male, female, whatever. Absolutely, no. you don't want to be mistook for that. So uh, the doctors ID the remains and they concluded that th- this torso belonged to John Dick, who was mm-hmm. a conductor for the Hamilton Street Railway. Dick's cousin, who was this guy, um, Alexander was his name, he'd reported to police that John had been missing for 10 days at that point. He told them that he became worried when he heard reports of the torso and began to suspect. Now, this bit I don't really get. He heard this torso was found and then he suspected that something awful might have happened to John because his short-lived marriage had was over, had apparently failed, and he heard about this torso and was like, oh, I wonder, is that John? So to me, that doesn't <laughs> add up. No. At all. Like, no. if, you know, if I said to you, I'm having relationship problems, and then you hear of a torso found, you wouldn't think, <laughs> oh, must be Julie, because she said she was having relationship problems. Like, would your mind really go there? I mean, maybe if you're living in Hamilton in 1946. We don't, I don't know what so. that place was like and what their habits were as regard to just killing for fun. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, it was definitely how loosey goosey they were with the murders. It seems like they were quite, but at the same time, like, I can't imagine like watching the news, hearing of someone being like shot or decapitated and being like, oh, that's, that's Neve. You know, like <laughs> she said she was upset last week. She's obviously being done in. Like, the only way see you know she, I'm gonna ring the guards now and say needs I know it is but like his intuition was correct as it was John but if I was the police officer there I definitely I definitely be asking a lot of questions of the mm. cousin for sure well so, he went with his gut and he went with he went say, he went well he went with his torso you could say he definitely <laughs> went with his torso and it, it yeah. led them to the right point so the, the cousin anyway uh, basically presumed it to be Dick, uh, to be John, and it did turn out to be John. So strange as it seemed, John and Evelyn had been married for almost a month before they began to live together. So just taking it back for a moment. So the cousin's like, look, he was having marital problems. And this is basically what went down. Evelyn remained in an apartment with her mother and Heather, telling John that there wasn't enough room for all of them. As you know, Crimeland is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. If you would like to support Crimeland, you can head over to headstuffpodcast.com and check out Headstuff Plus, which is Headstuff's new subscription service. You can throw us a couple of euro if you would like. You can also throw us a couple of euro and another podcast a couple of euro. You can also throw us a couple of euro 
and throw another two podcasts a couple of euro whatever you want to do it would be much appreciated as that is the only way that we actually make money from the podcast so head over to headstuffpodcast.com to check that out and this week if you're looking for another podcast to listen to you might check out That's Bangin'. It is a new food podcast from Marcus O'Leary and Chris Mellon where they celebrate everything tasty, fresh and excellent coming from Ireland. That's Bangin' with Chris and Marcus. Hello my friends and welcome to That's Bangin' with me, Marcus O'Leary. And me, Chris Mellon. A new podcast celebrating everything good from farm to plate, ship to service and field and fork. A celebration of everything tasty, fresh and excellent that's coming off our island at the moment. As well as interviews with people who are shaping the best of the best of food and drink from around the country. We'll be available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and everywhere else you get your podcasts. It was Evelyn herself then who bought this house where John moved in and she was very clear that she didn't want his name on the mortgage and he didn't put any money down towards the apartment. So she wanted it to be all hers, everything in her name. She was like, I don't want your name or on anything. A few very independent women. I know. She must have been doing a roaring trade on the street corners if she's able to buy a brand new house. Yeah, you wonder. I know, like I know now from what I've read, the pair, well, her mother in particular was a very strong force, dominant force in her life. So perhaps the mother was more behind it than Evelyn. But basically, John his name wasn't on anything and Evan was like, you're not moving into the apartment because there isn't room for everyone. Sorry. And he's like, but we're married now. And she's like, sorry, Um, there's just not enough room. We need to go bigger. So they had a few stormy months and then John left uh, after a few months. Evelyn was taken to police headquarters for questioning soon after the body was identified. What followed stunned investigators. Evelyn responded to the news that the torso belonged to her husband by remarking, don't quote, don't look at me. I don't know anything about it. And then proceeded to tell a story about an Italian hitman kind of looking guy arriving at her door looking for John. He said that he was going to quote, fix him for messing around with his wife. He then left without telling Evelyn who he was. Days later, police had learned that Evelyn, wait for this, had borrowed a large car from this guy called Bill Landig. Now there is another Bill, so I'll just refer to this guy as Landig. This is his surname. So Landig received the car back. So she asked, could she borrow a big car? This guy is like, no problem. She brings the car back, Sophie. And the car Mm. is covered with blood all over the front seat. The seat covers are missing and bloody clothing is in the bank. Like, this is why you should not lend people stuff because they have no respect for it. Imagine getting your car back in that state. As we learned from... That's very disrespectful. As we learned from Super Sweet 16, they have no respect if they haven't if they no, haven't actually yeah. worked themselves to earn this thing they're just going to be so you know they're going to be so um reckless with yeah. it so he get- like really like we should keep that kind of mind frame of primary school of like you know can I borrow your rubber like no like, <laughs> you, know, you know that like like can I borrow your marker no like you'll wreck them do you know like that kind of like yeah. you don't know why we let that go as we grow older. And you know what? You get the rubber back and somebody has used their pencil and drawn something on your rubber. You're like, this is why I did want you to give oh, you my rubber. They've stabbed their sharp pencil into it and made a series of little dots that makes like their name or something. Oh, Julie, don't get me started, honestly. <laughs> Um, well, Evelyn was of this mindset, okay? She basically treated the car like it was a rubber in the sense that like she wrecked it. Yeah. 
But she wouldn't have wanted to have been saying that back then because they would have all thought she meant a condom. Oh, you see, this is where the slang terms... Yeah. You're right. Actually, that's what they used to call it back in the day. Um, But no, I think that she is... uh, That There's a few striking... Striking? Striking similarities between herself and Sharon Curley. The the Spanish sailor. Oh, yeah. You know, she this Italian man that she's just coined and then coining a fake, a fake dad for the baby. Oh, she's, very she's snapper. Canny, isn't she? I'm going to call snapper. this, I'm going to call this Canadian snapper. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's a real, You're it right. sounds like a, like a fish, like a lovely fish. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It just sounds like, what are we throwing on the bobby? Some Canadian snapper? Yeah. It's really cheap. Very it's much. all frozen stuff. Canadian snapper is from Canada. I forgot you can do an Aussie accent. I need to actually just have an episode where you teach me how to do different accents. You're so good at them, Sophie. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so Evelyn I am gets- for a second and then I go kind of like Pakistani hybrid no, you're Jamaica. Unreal. You do an unreal Aussie accent. You really do. Thanks, darling. You do. Okay, Evelyn then. Um, so basically, she leaves the car back to this guy, Landig, and cheekily enough, leaves a note in the car explaining that the reason the car is a bit of a mess was that her daughter Heather had cut herself. Investigation proved the blood to be a shock horror of the same type as John Dix. At this point, Evelyn told police that a mysterious man had called her, told her that John had made a woman pregnant and that he was getting what was coming to him. The man then asked to meet her so that he could borrow a car. Evelyn explained that she met the man and he had a large, large sack with him. He told her that it contained, quote, part of John. Evelyn's story went on to say that she drove this man and the bank to the dumping site. So, like a lot of questions there. This mysterious man arrives with a sack claiming to be carrying the body part of your husband and then asks you for a lift. And she says, pop in. Very strange. Very, very, very strange. So then the police were like, okay, well, look, why don't you show us the route you took? Okay, if you went to this dump site, show us the route you took. So Evelyn takes the police on the route. When asked if it was at all alarming to her that her husband's body was in the vehicle, she said that she wasn't happy about his death, but that it was, quote, a pretty mean trick to break up a home, obviously referring to this guy saying that John had allegedly impregnated his wife. Sorry, but like, what? What a reaction. Like, how do you feel about your husband being dead? Well, I'm not happy about it. But. certainly not happy about it, but... Like, it sounds like what you'd say to a child. You were kind of reprimanding, like, well, I'm, you know, th- their, their, their test was shit. Yeah. Well, I'm not happy about that. Like, husband's dead. Gone. I know. He's never coming back. Really bizarre response, for sure. Really bizarre. So she continued to deny conspiring to kill her husband, but then enter Bill Bohazuk. So Bill Bohazuk was born in 1918. So he was two years older than Evelyn. He worked as a steel worker in Hamilton and he was also a member of the boat club. Very good looking guy. I, have I to was say, just about to say, he sounds like he's got real BDE oh, there now. Uh, oh yeah. Like a swashbuckling sort with a... Yeah, really striking looking man. So kind of yeah. fair haired and blue eyes and just, yes, yeah, strapping. Captain John. John Smith from Pocahontas, kind of. Oh, actually, not yet. That's a really good, yeah, that's a very good comparison. Would but not more like rough off. around the edges, like he's a... Well, he's, he's a, a steel worker. So Evelyn meets Bill coming out of Bob's Grill. 
At the corner of Barton and James Street in Hamilton. So this was five days after her and John had got married. And oh. Bill and Evelyn get talking. They go to a movie and Evelyn ends up spending the night at Bill's house. So Evelyn, of course, quickly embarked on an affair with Bill Bozook, which lasted for the short, obviously the duration of her short marriage to John Dick. So... They discover this, that she knows this guy, Bill Bohazook, and they continue to question her. And Evelyn's responses and demeanor strike investigators as just very strange. It was reported as well that uh, they did like a psychological analysis of Evelyn. And they said that she had probably the mental capacity of a 13-year-old girl. And later, Evelyn then changed her story again. So they were asking her about like, but this guy, Bill, who she'd been having the affair with and whether or not he yeah. had been involved because obviously they could link her to this car, which was covered in blood, which belonged to John. So, you know, they were, they were just trying to mm. ascertain, like, because obviously like Evelyn is... Uh, a, 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 she's a relatively young, slight female. So for her to overpower a big adult male, like they were just saying to themselves, look, there was probably yeah, someone else involved. She'd have to have help, of course. Like even physically mm. lifting a body and obviously the fact that this body had been dumped and then the physical strength that you would need to actually chop up a body as well. Like they were saying, look, I, surely somebody else is involved uh, yeah. here. So Evelyn really, she didn't want, she didn't give up the ghost at all. She kept saying no like um, she changed the story again and then said that she came back to this Italian killer story that this Italian guy who came to the door and said uh, Andy one maybe I'll feel it out I know it's always a handy one because generally police are like oh Italian yeah that sounds about right for sure so she it's, came- it's again like the um, the have, have you have you met anyone yet have you have you kissed yeah on my holidays in Wexford. Oh, always. You know, like holidays. that old chestnut. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. He it, was really good looking. He actually looked like Nick Carter, but uh, unfortunately he lives in Northern Ireland. So that's the end of that. <laughs> so Evelyn then came back to this story and she claimed, um, so she, she basically said that these Italian guys had come along and at this stage she said that they had been hired by Bill Bohazuk. So oh, there's more than one. There's a few Italian guys. A few. There's like a bevy of Italian guys. Oh so during, during all of this, investigators at the house, they then made a gruesome discovery. So they, she said, look, okay, Bill was involved. He actually hired these Italian guys to kill John. And then they made, now, uh, this is a bit of a trick of morning. This is fairly awful. Um, okay. So they found a suitcase filled with concrete in the house. And as I said, a bit of a trigger warning. In the concrete were the remains of a baby boy, Peter ah! David Might. Yeah. So uh, Evelyn's, baby. I know, Evelyn's, Evelyn's baby. So Evelyn, Evelyn's mom, Alexandra, told police that she had seen her husband, Donald, who would, of course, be Evelyn's father, at this suitcase the day before and told her to get the hell out of the room. Faced with this turn of events and having been told that Bill had been brought in for questioning, Evelyn told yet another story. She said that Bill... Sorry. I know, a lot of stories. I, know, I love the way you said at it saw his, saw his father at the suitcase like he was like a little like dog like 
sniffing around it like scratching. I know he was just kind of at, at it. it he was at it <laughs> who knows what he was doing but he was at it so he was at it I told him to stop you're at it you're at it Sorry. so she said Evelyn now said that Bill had murdered poor baby Peter and John so this is what she was saying now that they, they were that he was responsible for both deaths Incrimin- what about Matthew Mark and Luke and Jesus <laughs> and <laughs> the whole shebang incriminating evidence such as bullet holes in a pipe a revolver and cartridges saws and bloodstained shoes were almost also so they were they were kind of I suppose this is before the advent of DNA but they were fairly sure they belonged to John they were all found so all these different things were found in her dad's basement oh yeah so they found all this stuff in the basement. So Evelyn was saying it was Bill. Then they found all this evidence pointing to Donald. So basically, all three were charged. Evelyn, Bill, and her dad, Donald, were all charged with the murder of John Dick. So in the first trial, Evelyn... Now, the trial was a media sensation, as you can imagine. So this is, you know, during the era of, like, I mean, obviously, print media is huge, mm-hmm. and it's a really salacious story. So everyone was lapping it up. It was a big, big seller. And in the first trial, Evelyn was found guilty of murder, and she was sentenced to death by hanging. Although mm-hmm. she'd probably not killed John with her own hands, Evelyn was guilty by, obviously, well, what they said was participating and planning in the planning and carrying out the crime. Now, when the case was heard on appeal, the verdict was overturned because they said that uh, Evelyn's statements to police were inadmissible and that the trial judge hadn't properly instructed the jury, blah, blah, blah. Bill Bohazuk and her dad, Donald, were held for an unheard of, an unheard uh, length of time before their joint trial was to take place. Bill walked because Evelyn, the only witness prosecutors had, refused to testify. So he actually wasn't found guilty of anything. But her dad was found as an accessory after Why the fact. Why did she do that? that? That's strange. Well, you wonder. You do wonder then. And, you know, obviously she had said that Bill was the one responsible for all this. And you see, this is where the big question lies, because then when it came to trial, she refused to take the stand and say that. So it makes you wonder, was she making it up or was she protecting someone else or was she just so infatuated with him that she didn't want to testify against him? Or was she actually, they said, quite simple a little bit and it all got a bit much and she was just like she got overwhelmed she didn't even engage like yeah yeah it's it's very hard it's very hard to know it is strange because she did say that Bill had been involved and then when the moment came she didn't want to take the stand so you know there's it's hard to work out what her motivations there were now bearing in mind obviously a male close to her had to have helped her in this crime like I mean you well you would imagine I mean maybe not but I mean, I would have thought so. Ah, no. Definitely. I wonder, though, did Bill ever spill? Did Bill ever do a little <laughs> interview or anything? Do you not like him? I think I think he has the face of a murderer. <laughs> I think he looks <laughs> do terrifying. Do you think so? Okay. Oh, my God. He but looks like you... a sinister bastard, Julie. <laughs> but do you think he... But he's attractive. Sinister bastard, but attractive. Would I be right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I, I think that he was very maybe like of the time, you know, like that is what <laughs> that is what the women would have gone for. He's got the brill creamed hair, the soulless eyes, uh 
and a, and like a quite a tight, joyless mouth. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> Just as when you're not writing his, just as when you're not writing his Tinder bio, <laughs> I've got a tight, joyless mouth. Someone would just, would describe me as sinister looking. But look, I think he's attractive, which probably says more about me and where no, I'm. Look, at. you know what? There's there's nothing like wrong with him facially, but like I think he's got an air of he'd be well capable of chopping up the bod <sighs> and burying it. Well, it's definitely, I mean, look, you, I suppose you can't have it both ways. Like with the authorities involved, they tested Evelyn and they claimed that this was somebody who only had the mental capacity of a 13-year-old. So somebody effectively half her age. So yeah. you can't kind of make her out to be this criminal mastermind and say she had the mental capacity of a 13-year-old. It like, you know, you, you're kind of talking True. out, you're yeah, kind of talking yeah, yeah, out yeah. of both sides of your mouth there. Now, you know, if the mother is to believe, well, I mean, not even just the mother, but they found evidence pointing to John Dick and they and the mother claimed that uh, within, within, sorry, in the dad's basement and the mother claimed that she saw um, the dad uh, with, the, with the suitcase which contained Peter's body. So you would imagine that that kind of, you know, certainly the dad was aware of what happened. So he was found guilty as an accessory after the fact. But weirdly, I didn't think this was a lot. He was only sentenced to five years, which doesn't seem right. No. Yeah. So Evelyn, of course, was not so lucky. The dad got away with five years, which I think seems a bit lenient when evidence has been found in your gaff and you're seen with a suitcase that contains the body of a child, of a, of a baby. Um, she was found, Ev, poor, well, I was going to say poor old Evelyn, but Evelyn was found guilty of manslaughter in the death of her baby son and sentenced to life in Kingston Penitentiary. Evelyn was then paroled in 1958. So she herself, what? yeah, she didn't spend long in prison at all. She did spend longer than five years, oh but not a lot. God. I mean, the, considering that her, her original uh, fate was going to be a public, well, not a public hanging, but like hanging. I know. And then what is it, like 12 years later or something? She's and out. She's out. Yeah. And it, you know, it really was a turn. It, it really was a turnaround because it was, I suppose, the, these legal loopholes. That's what actually got her off the hook in terms of the hanging. And then she gets out in 12 years. It's mm. nuts. And I was looking up trying to find information on her, but anywhere that I looked, they all suggested that Evelyn kind of just disappeared into oblivion once she was released. So I suppose maybe she wanted to live a quiet life, but she essentially, whatever happened to her after that is uncertain. But there was actually this, this funny schoolyard song at the time of the murders, which went as follows. They used to like, this was essentially what they used to be singing um, in, in schoolyards across Canada. You cut off his legs, you cut off his arms, you cut off his head. How could you, Mrs. Dick? How could you, Mrs. Dick? How could you, Mrs. Dick? So look, they're not winning. It sounds like, how could you miss his dick? How could you miss his dick? I think I think that those children actually missed a trick. Oh, not including they, the. I dip, mean, but. I look. They, I know they're only kids, but surely we could have come up with a better rhyme than that. Yeah, I but and I actually think said, how could you miss his dick has a much better ring to it, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, I should get these children to consult me. <laughs> Before before they make these mainstream, to be honest. But it's but it it was just a case that really I suppose it took 
it, it captured Canadians' imaginations and it was a fascinating one for all involved. Obviously, a lot of questions and, you know, certainly the involvement of Bill, um, there's a bit of a question mark there. But in 2001, um, so th- this book was released called The Torso Murder, The Untold Story of Evelyn Dick. And then into it, that was written by this guy called Brian Vallet. And then in 2002, the following year, Torso, The Evelyn Dick Story, in that film, it was like a film made for Canadian television. Film. Yeah. Now oh. I tried to find the film, but it was like a TV film. So right. it's not that easy to find. It was made for Canadian uh, TV. But in that film, they suggest that Dick, uh, well, Evelyn, I should say, that Evelyn was protecting her parents who were also suspects in the murder of her baby and a husband. Yeah. The other thing that kind of struck me as a bit mad was... The seat, the car seats, having removable covers in the 1940s. I wouldn't have expected that. Funny that you noticed that. That's actually so true. Funny. And like, but you know, you're right, actually, because that seems like such a recent thing in Ireland. Doesn't it? Like, I remember, like, as a child, and I hate to make myself sound as old as I am, but like, my mum's car, it was like a Ford Fiesta or something. You would, whatever you spilt on those... It was there for life. That will be there when that car is made into a square. Yeah. Yeah. It was just compacted into there forever. That's all I remember as well. The steering wheel locks. My granddad used to have one of them and it was like this heavy yellow metal thing. It would take him like ten minutes to like get to the steering wheel. And then when he when he parked the car, another ten to fifteen to get the thing locked in place. I like nobody wants to rob your Renault Clio that's like seventeen years old, babe. <laughs> and the, yeah. and and you will question is the cure worse than the disease? Because like by the time you actually had the steering wheel lock on, I used to. Well, I went through a phase. Um, the car I have currently, which I still have, I would leave it unlocked, wishing that it did get robbed. Like just no, for the insurance, you would take it. But like, <laughs> I, again, they don't seem to fancy an El Yaris either. No, it's sad. It is because, it, yeah, I remember one time I convinced myself that uh, I left my car. Oh, hello, Fred. Oh, Fred, I left my friend here. It's a very professional podcast studio. <laughs> um, I'd left my back seat open, one of them, and I was convinced that somebody had just like broken in to do a piss in the back of the car because it started to smell really, really disgusting. But then I thought, who the fuck in their right mind is going to break into your car to do a private-ish piss? <laughs> Like, but did you get to the source and the smell? No, I think it just might have been like a bit of damp or like, you know, maybe an old yeah. umbrella or something. I don't know. I mean, I think I think that would probably be a step too far for most antisocial behavior types to actually yeah. piss. And so even, <laughs> even, even the worst of them all would be saying, guys, come on. Jimmy, I know what it was. I know what it was. It was a bloody bottle, a baby's bottle of fucking milk. You know, that stench of milk. Oh my God. Got yeah. enough milk. I've got it now. I bet you that's that's what it was. That is what it was. It was just um, uh, an errant bottle of milk that was left under the seat. It was not actually human piss. Sophie, I love that word, errant. 
thank you thank you for thank you for ending it on such an elevated I love that word errant wow what a great (laughs) word so look we solved the mystery of the smell in Sophie's car so we're not just here we're not just here to talk about crime we're solving crimes that's what we're doing Mrs. Hinge over here I'll have a solution for the smell of rotten milk maybe next week oh yeah do defo to be continued Sophie if we're looking for you where can we find you um, well, at the moment, just Instagram. So it's just Sophie Shanley, at Sophie Shanley. That's we're it. only doing the Instagram, yeah, really. I have no interest it. in the rest of them, to be honest. Sophie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I'll I speak to it. you the next Thank week. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Big love, Sophie. Mwah. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.